All right, what's up, everybody? It's good to see you today. How many love the 90s? Come on, am I the only one? It's the greatest decade ever, right? Come on. No, 80s were better. Some of you are Reagan people. I feel you. I got you. I got you. <laughs> uh, hey, um, man, wasn't just worship just anointed today? I love our band and how they lead us in God's presence every week. Hey, Life Chapel just turned nine years old. Yes, uh, last week. I was almost say yesterday, but last week. And we thought it would be fun to kind of throw it back to the 90s for a few weeks and um, just kind of have some fun over the next few weeks with the series that we feel like God has called us to go into. But I want to ask you before we get into it, what do you think of when uh, you think about the 90s? What comes to your mind? Some of you weren't born yet, so you're like, nothing. I have no thought about that. But uh, those of you who were live during the 90s, what do you remember most? I mean, the, the video just kind of uh, talked about a couple of those things. So, you know, we can talk about the clothing you know, some of us were into MC Hammer Pants, while others, others of us were into, you know, the plaid shorts with the, the T-shirt and the flannel wrapped around with the, the vans and, or airwalks. You know what I'm talking about, you know? Everybody had their style in the 90s. Uh, some of us wore slap bracelets, you know? Um, maybe you think about the technology, right? I mean, I, there, were, there were basically two camps when I was growing up in the 90s. There was the Super Nintendo camp and the Sega Genesis camp. You know, and, 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 you know, which one you showed alliance to, that was your friends at school. It was a big deal. I was on Team Sega. I love Sonic. Uh, what about the music? What was your style? Hip-hop, pop, grunge, country? 90s country was the best country. It was. I'm just telling you. Some of you are like, no, I was into gospel music. I was into the Bill Gaither trio still Still going after all these years. I love me some gospel. I'm not knocking it. I love that stuff. What about TV shows? You remember your favorite shows? Some of you are Friends people. Some are Seinfeld people. Um, what about uh, TJIF Fridays? You remember those? Come on. We look forward to Friday all week long growing up because our favorite kid-friendly shows were going to be on TV. We got to stay up a little bit later, watch TV with mom and dad. The 90s family sitcom was a huge part of my childhood growing up. I don't mind telling you. And, uh, you know, over the next few weeks, we're going to highlight a couple of my favorite family sitcoms from the 90s. And in highlighting them, we're just going to pull out some application that I think will help us to live the lives that God, God has called us to live in Christ Jesus. And to kick things off this week, I want to highlight one of the most popular family sitcoms on TV in the 90s. It ran for several seasons and actually launched the acting careers of several big name stars. Today, I want to highlight the show Home Improvement. Home Improvement. Come on. Come on. Come on. Come on. There it is. You guys remember that? It had music to it. One, at one, there it is. Yeah. Who remembers this show? Who loved this show? Come on, this was, yeah, we watched this one in my house. You can cut that off. You know, I was a big fan of Home Improvement because my, my mom and dad liked Home Improvement. And so they, when, I always liked when my dad laughed at something, it made it more funny for me because he just had a laugh and he would get going and he would get really red in the face and he would like, it's like, you're almost wanting to check on him. Like, are you still breathing over there? He's like... <laughs> and I was like, is he all right? Is that popcorn, is it lodged? Can we? <laughs> but it was so much fun to watch fr uh, Friday TV with my mom and dad. You had Tim the Tool Man Taylor, played by the Santa Claus himself, Tim Allen. 
his wife Jill, their three boys, one of which was played by an actor by the name of Jonathan Taylor Thomas, who became quite the heartthrob. There were posters. Who had a poster of Jonathan Taylor Thomas? Yep, you guys did. I had Kelly Kapowski in my room. Y'all don't know nothing about that. Say by the bell. Come on. But on the show, in addition to running his household and leading his family, Tim, the toolman Taylor, was actually the host of his own weekly TV show called Tool Time, where he and his co-host Al and Heidi showed the audience how to do a plethora of home projects using their favorite tools and equipment from the Benford Collection. And uh, whether it was on Tool Time or at his own home, in every episode, if you watched it, Tim usually did something wrong and mess something up. In fact, I've got a clip of some of my favorite moments. I want you to see this. You know me, I had to include a Christmas clip. It, it just, you know, it's coming, by the way. How many weeks are we away from? Yeah, come on. I love, I love this church. Y'all get me. Yes, we are Christmas people here. I love it. You know, it was fun to watch clips like that week in and week out, Tim making a mess of things. But what the show was really all about wasn't just him making a mess of projects around the house or on the show. It was about him making a, a mess in his own family and trying to figure out how to fix it week in and week out. And I think most men can really relate and identify with Tim the Toolman Taylor because we make a mess pretty much every day, right? And we try to figure out a way to fix it as quickly as possible. But almost every week when we watched the show, we would see Tim make something he would do something wrong. He would make a mess of something in his family. He would forget his anniversary date or pretend to be listening to his wife when he's actually watching the football game. I've never done that. And uh, he would end up missing something really important he was supposed to know. Or um, he would forget that he was supposed to pick up one of his kids from school. He would often get distracted in life and kind of forget what his priorities needed to be and the order they should be in. It, it, it's not the hot rod in the garage. It's actually spending time with the family. You know, that's more important. And every time Tim would make a mess in his family life, he would turn to his neighbor, a guy by the name of Wilson, to try and help him fix it. And, you know, what's interesting about this show is that uh, when he would go into the backyard and stand across the fence from Wilson and have this conversation, while Wilson appears in every single episode, you never see his face, not one time. All of his conversations that he had with Tim, all of the words of wisdom, all of the smart anecdotes that he would tell him to try and get him back on track, you never see his mouth move, but you always hear his voice speak. And I think that's a lot like God, isn't it? We can turn to him when we make a mess of things and through biblical leadership and biblical advice, he always knows just what to say to get us back on track. We may not see his mouth moving, but we can certainly hear his voice. And when Tim made a mess of things, Wilson was usually there to help him 
get it back on track, to sort it all out before it became an even bigger mess. And that's kind of what I want to do today uh, over the next few moments. I, w- I want you to, I just want to invite you to come to the fence in, in the backyard and have a conversation with God about what's really going on in your home. I want us to have a conversation with God today and, and just let him kind of ask us some questions, just like Wilson would have done for Tim. Just ask us some questions to really help us understand how to fix the culture in our homes and in our relationships. And here's the first one I want to highlight today. I believe if you came to God looking for advice to help you improve your home life today, I think he would start by asking you about your level of commitment. How committed are you really to your home and to your family? Is your family and home where it needs to be on your list of priorities? And is it more than just, you know, the list that you look at? Is is it actual real time? Is it the commitment that you're living day in and day out? Commitment matters when it comes to our homes. I saw a quote the other day, and I don't remember where it came from offhand, but boy, I thought it was so good and so true. The quote was this, happiness is having a large, loving, close-knit family in another state. (laughs) Our families are probably our greatest source of fun and our greatest source of frustration. They're our greatest source of success and failure. They're our greatest source oftentimes of pleasure and pain. Family living, in the words of Charles Dickens, can be the best of times and the worst of times, all at the same time. That's just how family life feels for everybody. So listen, guess what? That means you're not alone. We all deal with this. You're no different from anybody else. Every family, every relationship goes through ups and downs, seasons that are tough and seasons that are fantastic. It is normal to not be thrilled with what's happening in your home all the time. But how do you stay consistent and constantly engaged in something that feels like it's an emotional roller coaster? One word, commitment. Commitment keeps you in the game regardless of what you feel. Regardless of what's happening in your world at any given moment, commitment keeps you plugged in and into the game. And you know, it takes a strong commitment for couples to be married together. It takes a strong commitment to make families work. It takes a strong commitment to raise children. Marriage is more than just romance. It's more than just going on a lifelong date and moving in together. Come on, it's far deeper than that. Marriage is a covenant of unconditional love that we make to one another. It's a covenant of undying faithfulness and uncompromised commitment. And it takes a strong commitment like that in your marriage in order for you to stay together regardless of what you may face. You know, in the Bible, we're given a definition of marriage. And it's funny, the Bible talks about marriage a lot, but we only get one definition of marriage. It never changes. It's found in Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And then it's actually repeated by the prophets of the Old Testament. And then Jesus quotes it again while he's teaching on marriage in the Gospels. And then it shows up again in the apostolic letters of the New Testament. But there's only one real biblical definition of marriage. It's never changed. This is it, Genesis two twenty-four. It says, for this reason, a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Now, I want you to think about what that scripture says for a minute. God created marriage. It was his idea. 
He designed humanity for this thing called marriage, and he designed marriage for humanity. And he said in defining it and explaining it to us, I've made you to one day eventually leave your father and mother. Think about the implications of that. The, the, the people that you are the closest to when you're young, the, the people that brought you into this world and literally gave your life, your commitment in marriage is so great that you're going to leave that and come into a new covenant. You leave behind what you've known and you begin a new life together with a new lifelong partner and it is committed. You see, in marriage, you can never put anybody ahead of your husband or your wife or the marriage will crumble. In marriage, your husband has to be the most important person in your life other than Jesus. Men, your wife has to be more important than any other person on the earth. So much so that you can leave everybody else and everything else behind, but you're going to cling to one another for the rest of your lives. You're going to be united together. I love the old King James version of this verse because it says a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The Hebrew of that word to cleave means to be glued together, bonded, cemented together permanently. You are united together in a covenantal bond. This is what God's idea for marriage is. It's two people becoming glued together increasingly over time. Two people who are staying together and holding on to each other in the midst of chaos, in the midst of trials and tribulations, in the midst of struggles, in the midst of uh, real strong forces trying constantly to tear us apart. Marriage is a lasting commitment so much so that you stay in this thing and the longer you stay in it, the more you become one flesh. And marriage is the only relationship you can explain like that. Two people becoming one. One flesh. There's not another relationship like that. Friendships don't come close to that. Your relationship with your kids is not like your relationship with your spouse. Only in marriage can two people become one flesh. And that wording describes this incredibly deep commitment that married couples are supposed to have towards one another. And this can be difficult for us to, I think, remember and buy into when we think about marriage because of the society and the culture that we live in. We live in a culture of convenience. We want everything right now. We want it fast. We don't want to wait on anything. We want to be comfortable above all else. But God's idea of marriage is that the longer we're in it, the more enmeshed we become. But we want everything to be quick and easy, don't we? You know, just pop it in the microwave and and, and, and be done with it in 30 seconds. Yeah, that's kind of our mentality today, isn't it? If it's not easy, we don't want to fool with it. If we have to work for it, forget it. If I have to wait to make it happen, no thank you. See, we have a distorted view of marriage and what family life is supposed to be because we've begun taking our cues from the culture around us instead of God's word. And the problem with that approach is marriage, listen, marriage was not the culture's idea. Marriage was not created by the culture around us. It was God's idea. He's the author of it, and if we're going to get into it, we should probably do it his way. Don't you think so? And we're seeing the results of this statistically in our world today, where even in our country, in America, they tell us that 50% of marriages will end in divorce. And divorce is such a gut-wrenching ordeal to go through. It's such a painful experience for everybody. I've never met anybody contrary to what you see on TV. I've never met anybody who went through divorce and was skipping and whistling as they went through it. It was painful. It was hurtful. 
It was difficult. Did you know that the average marriage in America today only lasts nine years? Nine years. When we come together at the altar, the vow that we make before God is till death do us part. What is that? That is a vow of commitment, a lifetime of commitment. But the average time that people stay married is only nine years. Now, let me just stop right here and just say, listen to me. There is no condemnation for those of us that are in Christ Jesus today. And if you, if you are here and you felt the sting of divorce and you felt the pain of that, there is no condemnation. There's no judgment on you. I love, one of the things that I love the most about God, in fact, it's probably the thing that I love the most about him other than that he saved my soul is that he redeems my story. Hallelujah. He makes, he, he takes a mess and he makes it a masterpiece. He takes broken situations and makes something beautiful out, out of it all the time. And if you're here today and you say, you know, I, I felt the pain of that. I went through that and it hurt and I'm still dealing with that pain. Let me tell you something. God is not done writing your story. There's another chapter. He's still writing for you. And it's better than what you could ever dream up for yourself. I'm telling you, God has great plans for your life. Amen. Amen. There's no condemnation. But we have a real problem when it comes to how we're doing this marriage thing in society, how we're doing family life. Why is that? What is the root of that problem? Where is the breakdown coming from? Well, I believe it's right here. I believe it's what we're talking about right now. I believe the major issue with marriage today is our level of commitment to one another. It's our level of commitment to each other and that the fact that it's not strong enough to confront and overcome the challenges that we face in life. There is nothing wrong with the idea and the institution of marriage. The problem is in our level of commitment. And I don't care who you are and how great your relationship is. At some point, you're going to face challenges that feel bigger than you. You are going to face challenges that threaten your marriage and threaten your love and threaten your relationship. And when things get hard like that, so hard that you even, you find it difficult to, to put them into words, what it feels like day in and day out. Listen, the only way to make it through seasons that are that tough is for you to become even more glued together and say, we, there is nothing that is is going to break us apart. Together we are going to get through this thing. That's why God put you together. It's one flesh that despite the devil's best efforts, he just cannot pull apart. It's undying commitment to God and to one another that keeps us in this thing no matter what. And what we're seeing in our world right now is not an indictment on marriage. It is an indictment on humanity and our refusal to honor God and honor one another. You know, when Carmen and I first got married, we ran into challenges right away. And, you know, we weathered those pretty well. And I thought, well, that wasn't too bad. And then more challenges came, and we weathered those. And then more challenges came. And, you know, you, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, you just go through seasons, and you're like, well, where did that come from? You know, the first challenges came about because we were two very different people that had suddenly moved in together. And, uh, you know, I remember, like, Carmen moved in, and she just started changing everything immediately. She didn't ask permission. <laughs> she just started moving stuff. I remember there was one day I wanted some cereal, and I'm like, I, I can't find the bowl to put my cereal in. And I finally found the bowl, and I kid you not, then I couldn't find the spoon. I, stuff was just getting moved all over the place. I'm dead serious. We were two different people starting this process of coming together and becoming one. And watch this. There were serious growing pains involved with that. You know, families are different in a lot of ways. Our families were very different. 
Uh, I came from a family where we did everything together all of the time. Her family, it wasn't like that. Her mom and dad kind of do their own thing. The kids, as they get older, they kind of go out and do their own thing. It's not a big deal that you're not together all the time. My mom, if you're watching, I love you. I, I'm, I'm okay. I, I, it hasn't taken too much counseling for me to work through all the <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Just kidding. But like, if we weren't together in the room, it's like it upset her. She was like, well, where's Brian? Well, why isn't he down here? You know, like, it, it, that's just how we did it. And for Carmen, it's no big deal. Her family, they just kind of do their own thing. And her family birthdays are a huge deal, not in my family. There were years when I was lucky to get an acknowledgement that it was my birthday, much less a song and a cake, at, you know, not in her family. Birthdays and birthday gifts are a huge thing. And so when we got married, I didn't realize that. And I was like, oh, yeah, hey, happy birthday. And that was it. She was like, uh, cake, party, gifts what's up, you know, and I was like, I knew really fast, I got to get the right amount of candles, I got to do the whole thing, you know, not now, she's, you know, let's not remind her of the inevitable increase of beauty and grace that is coming every year, that's called a recovery, Uh, in my family, Thanksgiving was a huge holiday, but not in hers, they're not thankful for anything, (laughs) In my family, we got, the, we got everybody together, the cousins, aunts and uncles, grandparents. We all got together, and we ate the best meal we're going to have all year long. Come on, who grew up like that? You know what I'm talking about. So good. I love it. Not in her family. They ruined Thanksgiving dinner for me. I was appalled the first time I went to Thanksgiving with her family. I didn't realize you could mess that meal up that bad. Had no idea. But we were two very different people coming from very different backgrounds and beginning a new life together. And that presents challenges. And here's the thing. New and greater challenges keep coming at you the longer you're in this thing. The challenges, they're, they're, they're different types of challenges, but they never really stop. There were new challenges when we started having kids. And I realized when we started having kids that I'd been dethroned in my own home. This newly born triad of princesses together with the queen had usurped me from the throne of my home. And I was no longer the most important thing here. Things were changing fast. You got to stay with the times. Seriously, listen to me. Nothing will show you how selfish you are like having children. <laughs> Nothing will, especially men. Come on. You don't have to say amen. I know it's true. It's all right. <laughs> but this is what I want you to know. Successful marriages are built on a foundation of a lifelong commitment. And while the challenges keep coming and they change over time, the commitment does not change. It is steadfast through it all. We are committed to one another. So it is with parenting. Parenting is a lifelong commitment. It is a tremendous commitment you have to make in your family to raise kids together, to raise them well. You talk about challenges. I've got three kids right now. I was thinking about this just the other day. I'm, I'm, I'm not even kidding. I'm going to try to like explain what I, was, what I was seeing and what I was feeling. We've got this open area kitchen and living room. You know what I'm talking about? There's no wall between. It's just a big open area. And it was filled with intense commotion and noise, okay? Olivia was sitting there crying because she didn't want to eat her dinner, and she's a loud crier, so she's just letting it go. Brianna is telling a never-ending story. It's like it's just never going to get there. And it's like, let me, let, me, let me go back, and I didn't, you know, I didn't include this person in it. And, and Nora is singing a song. She's just, and very dramatically, the sun will come out tomorrow, you know, and she's just belting it. Meanwhile, our dog, Freddie, is barking and running in circles. He is just having the time of his life, running in circles. Carmen is screaming at them all. She's screaming at everybody. And it's so chaotic, I can't even hear the Braves on TV. You know what I'm saying? I'm sitting there, I'm trying to watch the game. 
absolute chaos. And I'm sitting in the middle of it. And I'm just like, what is this life I've created? What, what is happening here? The other, the other day, I thought to myself, I was sitting in noise like that, and I thought, man, I cannot wait for the empty nest years, you know? Then it dawned on me, I'm a lifetime away from an empty nest, and I'm going to be honest with you, I think the empty nest is a fabrication anyway. I see some of you with your children. It's not even real. There's an empty wallet, but there's not an empty nest. You know, the noise is never going to stop. <laughs> We're never going to stop paying for them. We're never going to stop praying for them. Come on. Why is that? It's because parenting is a lifelong commitment. That's what it is. Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from. It says when he is old, not when he's young. We're going to be involved with this thing until they're old. That's what the Bible says. Some of you are thinking, well, we just had our first child, and things are chaotic right now, you know, with the nightly feedings and the crazy schedules, but pretty soon things will go back to normal. Listen, you might as well accept it now. Things are never going back to normal. They're only going to get more complicated. My goodness, I'm going to have three teenage girls, three weddings, three bridezillas. I'm having a panic attack. Somebody pray for me. Somebody help me. I don't know what I'm going to do. Woo! My goodness. What keeps you in this thing? Day after day, minute after minute, after hour, hour after hour, it is, it is commitment that is steadfast. It is commitment that is strong. It is a commitment that stands the test of time, no matter what season of life you're in. That's the first question I think God would ask you to consider today. If you came to him and said, I, I need to improve the culture of my home, I think he would talk to you about your level of commitment. And then I think he would ask you maybe about communication. I think he would ask you, how's communication in your home right now? How are you doing with communication? Are, 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 are you communicating regularly? Is your communication healthy? Is it good or is it dysfunctional? I heard a marriage counselor say the other day that at the root of almost every marriage issue is a lack of healthy communication. Communication, when you really think about it, it's a simple process of talking, listening, and understanding. Just three components that make up communication. It's the way we talk to each other. It's the way we listen to one another and the way we understand each other. Those are the components of communication. And good communication is crucial in any home. Yet in many homes, communication is not good between spouses. It's not good between parents and kids. It's actually dysfunctional. Dysfunctional communication happens when we speak to one another in ways that are harmful. When we don't listen to one another. When we have no idea what the other person is thinking or what they're feeling or what they're going through because our goal is to change them or to, to force them to think the way we want them to think or to become what we think they should become and we're not really seeking to understand where they're coming from. You know, the word dysfunctional, it sounds complicated, but all that really means is it's not working. And you can tell when the communication in your home is not working because you try to have a conversation and it blows up. Why is that happening? It's because the communication is dysfunctional. You know it's not working because you have a conversation, and at the end of the conversation, inevitably, every single time, somebody gets hurt. Why is that? It's because the communication is dysfunctional. You have a conversation, and somebody flies off the handle and walks out the door, and then you get the silent treatment for a week. What is that? That is dysfunctional communication. What's going on there is that we haven't learned how to speak and how to respond in ways that doesn't set everybody off. We haven't, we haven't come to the place where we understand how to listen, and we really have no desire to understand where they're coming from or their point of view. It's dysfunctional in every way. 
And there really are so many different avenues that we could take when we're talking about communication. I've preached on this many times over the years, but I just want to focus on one scripture this morning. And I want you to look at this scripture with me in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, because I believe this scripture in Ephesians 4, 29, it encompasses these three components of communication. And I think it gives us something that we can begin to think about and pray about when it comes to our home life and how we communicate with others. Look at it with me. Ephesians 4, 29 says this. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. This is a powerful truth right here. And I believe if you'll hear this and put it into practice in your life, I believe that you can break the cycle of dysfunctional communication if that's what's happening in your home right now. Look at it again with me carefully. And listen, don't be elbowing your spouse while I'm talking about this. I mean, I hope you're listening to him. Don't be like, kids, listen. You better hear what he's saying. Now, listen for yourself right now. Look at it and think about it for you. Paul says, first of all, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. The focus here is on our words. You know, you can think it. You can feel it. You can even assume it. But that doesn't mean you have to say it. You don't have to say everything that comes into your mind to say While I'm on the subject, you don't have to tweet every thought you have. You are not that important. And I say this weekly, just get off Facebook. It's going to help you. I'm just telling you. Some people just feel like, I've got to get this out there. They need to know that there is a wreck at Costco. And if I don't tell them, no one will know. So they're like, I got to get it out there. Listen, you don't have to verbalize everything that comes into your mind. It's okay to think it. It's okay to feel it. But you don't have to vent it. You don't have to express it. Why? Because sometimes it's unwholesome. What does that mean? Unwholesome means it's not going to help. That's what that means. What comes to your mind when you think of that word unwholesome, especially related to our speech, to the way we talk? Unwholesome talk. What comes to my mind immediately is is like profanity. You know, we think of that. That's unwholesome speech. But what about judgment, words of judgment? What about constant criticism? See, I think that's unwholesome talk too. What about belittling one another? What about using threatening language, especially in our marriage? That's unwholesome talk. What that means is they are words that are not meant to build up. They are designed to tear down, to rip apart, to wound. And the scripture says, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. And I want you to stop and think about this. As you're communicating with your spouse or with your kids, is. If I say this, is it going to be helpful? What's going to be the result? If I say this, is it going to get me closer to what I want my marriage to be or what I want my relationship with my kids to be? In the heat of the moment, you think I've got to say this because the heat of the moment is about how you feel. You're frustrated. You're upset. You feel like you've been treated unfairly. You were wounded, so now, hey, I get to wound you back. You're not getting what you think you deserve out of the relationship. You're not happy with your kids. Kids, you're not happy with your parents, and that's what you're feeling, and that's what you sense in in every part of your being. I've got to say what I'm feeling and thinking. You think I've got to say it, but just stop before you say it and think about it. If you just kind of vomit out everything that you're feeling in that moment, is that actually going to make things better for you? If you're a child, I'm telling you right now, it ain't going to make things better. (laughs) It's going to make it worse. Unwholesome talk is not going to make anything better in any relationship for anybody. In fact, it's going to make things dramatically worse. And what's the point of saying something that is going to make it worse? What's the point? 
So don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, Paul said. Then he adds to it, but only what is helpful. And that's the question that I want you to think about today, is what I'm speaking to someone, is it actually helpful? Is it going to help the situation? Is it going to help my marriage improve? Is it going to help my husband if he hears me say this? Is it going to help my wife if I say this to her? Are these words going to help my kids? Is it going to encourage them and build them up? Or are these words going to hurt them and potentially cause damage? Reflect on it before you choose to say it in the heat of the moment. How is this going to help the situation and make it better? Paul said, say only what is helpful. And now watch this. He said, say only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. See, we are called in Christ Jesus to build others up according to their needs, not our needs. <laughs> and I promise you, I've never seen that in the scripture till this week. I mean, I've seen it, but I didn't see it. You know what I'm talking about? When you speak in communication, only speak what is helpful and is going to build them up. And then when you listen, and that's the second component of good communication, when you listen, listen according to what their needs are, not yours. People who are good communicators are thinking about the other person's need, not their own. You know, we, we think, I feel the need to say it and vent it. When I do that, I'm thinking about my needs, not their needs. When you speak, you need to make sure that what you say is not going to be unwholesome for them to hear. But when you listen, you want to listen to hear what their needs are and how you can help them meet their needs. That's why, watch this, that's why God brought you together in marriage, and that's why he calls your spouse a helpmate. You are there to help them. Help them. And in your speaking and listening, you seek to understand one another. That's what makes communication effective. That's what makes it work. And that's actually what eliminates dysfunction. Have conversations in your home that are designed to build up rather than tear down. And that will drastically change the culture of your home. And you know, words are so powerful. We've lost this in our culture today. People spew out words recklessly. You hear it all the time. You just go to Starbucks and you hear crazy language. And it's like, man, what happened to our society? You hear unwholesome talk just happening around us all the time. But I want to remind you today, according to the word of God, that words have tremendous power, especially in the context of a relationship. Proverbs 12, 18 says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And isn't that what we want when we communicate with our spouse or with a friend that we're in relationship with? We want to use words that bring healing, communication that heals a divide between us. Uh, we want to communicate in a way that repairs the breach and the issues that have separated us. I want you to look at the verse again, Ephesians 4.29. Paul said, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Watch this, that it may benefit those who listen. Benefit. Benefit means to produce good or helpful results. God wants our communication in our homes to benefit one another, not make their life worse. So let me ask you again, do your words benefit those who listen? And how do they benefit them? You think, well, gosh, they need to hear it. Somebody has to tell them. Maybe, but maybe they don't need to hear it. Maybe they don't need to hear it in that moment. Maybe you're hurting them and not really helping them. See, this word benefit here is actually really interesting if you look at it because it comes from the Greek word charis, which is the word for grace. And what the scripture says here, literally when you look at it, is use words that release grace into people's lives when they hear you speak. Wow. 
Did you know that you and I are called to be ministers of grace in our homes? Our words should benefit others by revealing and extending grace to them. That's what Jesus did when he ministered here on the earth. He did not come with a message of condemnation or judgment or bitterness or wrath or anger, though he had every reason to be. He was a minister of grace. He came to be a giver of grace. The scripture says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. If you want something to change in your home, words of grace are going to get you there a lot faster than words of condemnation and judgment and bitterness. Let me ask you honestly right now, how grace-filled is your home at the moment? And if you're unhappy with the answer, listen to me, you can change that with the power of your words. In communication, let's be givers of grace, people who speak to lift others up, people who listen to hear how they can help, and people who seek to understand. That's a simple way that we can improve the culture of our homes. It starts by strategically thinking about the way we communicate. Let me give you another one. If you were to come to the fence and have a conversation with God, I think that after he talks to you about communication, he would kind of talk to you about the cousin of communication called conflict. Conflict, conflict resolution. I think God would want to know, are you resolving conflict in your home? Are you resolving it in a healthy, productive way? Is your conflict ever really resolved? Does it, what happens? And this is what I've learned over time is that families that have constant long-term conflict can never get into a healthy place. Unresolved conflict is extremely toxic. It pulls everything apart. It is a constant erosion on the trust of your relationship. Families cannot survive with constant conflict that is never resolved. Families need to strive to resolve conflict quickly and effectively. They need to strive towards unity, not disunity. I think of Paul's challenge to the church in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 10. And he's writing to the church here, but the church is the family of God. It's so similar to family in many ways. It's built around relationships. That's what he says in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, that you might be perfectly united in mind and thought. What does that mean? Paul's saying, I appeal to you. He's saying, I want you to strive for this. I want you to strive to come to the place of agreement. I want you to strive to come to the place of unity. How do you do that? You've got to stop letting conflict divide you over and over and over again. And when you see conflict, bring it to the place of resolution. The Greek word for agree here, and I've talked about this before, it's, the, it's where we get the English word symphony. Everything sounds great together when everybody's playing the same tune. But you get the one person that's doing their own thing, and it throws the whole family dynamic off. You know, I had an older sister. I probably shouldn't say this, but she was a little bit contentious growing up. And it was like we were all, you know, family trips. We're all loaded up in the minivan. You know what I'm talking about? Just having a big old time. Can't wait to get wherever we're going. Not my sister. She was never happy. And I was like, oh, this is awful. Like nobody wants to go on this family trip. Now, you know, the Lord touched her, and she grew up, and everything got better. And Carmen's like, no, it's not really better. I'm just kidding. It's better. But one person, one, some of you have experienced this with your kids. I'm, I'm not making light of it. One person can bring disunity to the whole thing. Why? Because they're carrying conflict that they refuse to resolve. They wake up every morning and decide, I am going to carry this thing. That's causing me to be bitter. That's causing me to be angry. That's causing me not to want to connect with anybody else. I am going to put this back on me, and I'm going to walk around, and I'm going to wear it all day. And your home fills that. 
Practically speaking, part of effective conflict resolution, I think, is learning how to stop it before it gets out of hand. Listen, conflict is normal in every relationship, and it's even good. I mean, if you're, not, if you're never arguing about anything, you know, I'd probably make the case that you're not really being honest with one another. You know, I think not arguing at all can be pretty destructive for your relationship, too. But sometimes, especially after you've been together for a long time, you see it coming, right? I mean, you, you know, you can feel a fight coming on. Anybody else, you know what I'm talking about? It's like, you just know, this is, this is going to explode. Well, what do you do? I'm telling you what not to do. Do not fan that flame into a firestorm. Put it out before it gets out of hand. We can learn to deal with conflict in, in a healthy way by seeing it coming on and dealing with it early. There's three things that I want us to think about when it comes to dealing with conflict resolution. It's the right timing, the right tactic, and the right tone. If you have to confront your husband or your wife or your kids or a friend that you're in relationship with, the right timing is crucial. Pick the right time to bring up something sensitive, something that you're upset about, something that you want to change, something that you want to challenge in their life. Pick the right time to have that conversation. Don't avoid it. You need to have it, but the timing is important. A lot of really intense conflict happens not because of the content matter. It's because it came up at the wrong time. It's not the right time to bring something sensitive up in the middle of chaos, like what I described earlier uh, in my kitchen and, and living room. Can you imagine in the middle of all that if I was like, hey, Carmen, I'm not really happy with you here lately, and the food is not as good as it used to be, and you know what? I'm just, you know, if that, that would be, all, I can see the frying pan coming at my head right now. That's not, gonna, that's not the time to do it. You know what I'm saying? It's not the right time to start a conversation like that right when somebody walks in the door after a long, hard day of work. Come on. It's not the right time when they just got up out of bed and they haven't even had their coffee yet. It's not the right time to bring it up late at night when they're ready to go to sleep. The right time is crucial so that good, healthy, honest conversation that needs to be had doesn't turn into this ferocious conflict. It's the right time. So what is the right time? I, here's the thing. I can't answer that for you because every home is different. Every family has a different rhythm. But I can't, I can't tell you what the right time should be for you. But this is what I'm telling you. You need to think about it and you need to plan it out. That's what I'm telling you. When, when Carmen and I first started dating, we realized, okay, we, we're, you know, we're going to have some things that we need to talk about. And um, you know, I, was just, I was just thrilled that I had a girlfriend. You know, I, I was like, this is great. Um, Carmen had a lot of baggage she brought into the relationship. She had dated a few, few guys that were not good guys. And, you know, and so I felt like I'm knight in shining armor. I need to help her work through this, you know, and didn't always say it right. But I, I realized early on while we were dating that we need to have these moments of conflict resolution. And we called them honesty nights. And we knew, like, this is not a date. I'm going to pick her up. We're going to go to a quiet place, and we're going to have an honest conversation, and we're going to put things on the table. We're going to deal with it. Those were great. We carried them over into our marriage. You know, we knew on those honesty nights, we're going to have a hard conversation. We're going to deal with something. We're going to hash it out, and then we're going to have a great makeup session afterwards. Amen. That's what I'm trying to tell you. The right timing is important. <laughs> Moving on. You know, you see something in your notes, and you just, that, that, that'll be okay to say. And then you say it, and you're like, I probably shouldn't have said that. Anyway, it's the right timing. It's the right tactic. Listen, you know you are headed for a bad place when you walk in the room, and your spouse says, I need you to sit down, and I need to talk to you. I just need you to sit and listen to me for a minute. 
Listen, if you've got to demand that somebody sit and listen, you need to know they are not listening. They are taking a defensive posture right there. And they are not going to hear anything you have to say. They're going to be defensive. And see, that's the wrong tactic when approaching conflict resolution in the home. You want to be nice about it. That's the right tactic. Hey, I think we should talk. Some of you need to watch the playback of this and do exactly what I did. Hey, I think we should talk. That's the right tactic. You want to be gentle, not aggressive or adversarial. You want them to be engaged with you in this, not postured against you. Your tactic, the way you go into it, has a lot to do with whether or not the conflict gets resolved or it blows up. You have to have the right timing, the right tactic. And thirdly, you've got to have the right tone of voice. That's so important. You know, how we say something is just as important as the words we say. Sometimes they're more important. Proverbs 25 and 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. Sounds like my mother-in-law's house. <laughs> it's like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. What is that saying? A word fitly spoken. A word aptly spoken, another translation says. What does that mean? The tone matters. The tone matters in how it's going to be heard and received. You know, you can say something in a lot of different ways. Like you can say, I love you, for example. You can say it as a matter of fact. I love you. I love you. You can say it with inspired feeling. I love you. You can say it really dramatic, you know, with extra emphasis. Like, I just really love you so much. <laughs> You're all I think about. I just love you. You know, you can say it like that. Or, or you can say it like this. You can be like, I love you. I, I love you. Why do you keep asking me that? I say it all the time. I love you. Of course I love you. It's the same words, different message, right? I had a hard conversation with someone who became cross with me recently, and we were going to sit down and try and resolve our conflict and try to talk through those issues that uh, they had with me. And I just felt like it was important out the gate before we got into anything just to express how I felt about them. And I said, I said, look, I just want you to know that I love you so very much. And they responded with, well, I love you too. <laughs> and I was like, okay, same words, different message. Doesn't feel the same. I'm just telling you, tone matters. I got to tell you this. I'm trying to hurry through this, but I got to tell you this. Because I, 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 this, this, this blew me away. I heard about an article that was recently published in Psychology Today. The, the name of the article is From Bicker to Sicker. From bicker to sicker. And in this article, a group of psychologists wanted to study to see if there was any correlation between couples and families who fight and have a lot of drama in their home and their physical health. And they interviewed over a thousand married couples. And as they began to examine the home life of these couples and their health history, their blood work, all of that kind of stuff, they compared what was going on health-wise to the culture of their home. And what they discovered was really quite interesting because what they found is that couples who had a lot of unhealthy conflict in their home, lots of fighting, lots of drama, lots of long-lasting, unresolved conflict with one another, they found that there was indeed a correlation between that kind of home life and their physical health. When they examined these couples who fight a lot in unhealthy ways, they found in their blood work that they actually had a weakened immune system. They found that the physical body was responding to the unhealthy home environment. The immune system was actually getting weaker. And people were more apt to get sick in an environment where there was constant conflict and fighting going on. And listen to me, if it affects couples like that, you got to know it's affecting your children too. 
They're there too. This is important stuff today. Unresolved conflict affects every part of us, truly. And listen, I want to be clear about this. Every, every family, every couple, you're going to have conflict in your home. That's part of it. There's nothing wrong with you if you have a disagreement from time to time. Everybody's going to have a, a fight here and there. That's normal. This is what I'm telling you. Keep it healthy and resolve it quickly. And keep it from coming up more than it needs to. Resolve it quickly so that it doesn't sabotage your relationships at home. These are practical ways you can dramatically improve the culture of your home. I think if you were to say, God, look, I'm not real happy with the way things are going in my relationships. I'm not happy with the way things are going in my home life. You're talking to him uh, on the other side of the fence. What's he asking you about? I think he would ask you also about consecration. I think God would want to know, is your home actually dedicated to me? Are you leading and managing your home in such a way that I am at the center of this thing? Here's a good question for you to consider today. Is God pleased with what's happening in your home right now? Is he pleased with it? To consecrate yourself means simply to dedicate yourself to God. It means to have a spiritual environment in your home where he is worshiped and honored. Where he's at the center of your marriage relationship. Where you're teaching your children, you are engaging with them daily about their relationship with the Lord, how to talk to him in prayer, how to read and study his word. Noah and the flood is one of the great stories of the Bible. And, you know, I guess you could read that and, and see the flood as kind of, kind of a representation of the great storms that we all go through in life. But in recounting that story, it says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, that Noah built the ark to save his family. If you've ever wondered why Noah built the ark, why he spent all of that time building an ark, why he went through all the ridicule and all the people telling him he's crazy and nothing's ever going to happen, why did he do that? This is it. It was to save his family from the storm that was coming that was seeking to wipe them out. And I've often thought about this. I've often thought about how Noah built an ark to save his family, and it makes me wonder, what am I building to save my family? It's a good question, isn't it? This is a spiritual truth that I want you to get today. What you are building can save your family. It can save your family. So here's my question for you. What are you building? Are you building a loving home? Are you building a strong faith in Jesus? Are you building a family dynamic that keeps God at the center of it? Are you building a lasting legacy that you are, you're seeing this far beyond your own soul? You're saying, my kids are going to be saved. Hallelujah. My, grand, my grandkids are going to be saved. Their kids are going to be saved. There's going to be a generation of righteousness and faithfulness in my family line. That's what I'm here to build. That's what I'm building. And you know, the first thing that happened after the flood, after the rain stopped and the water subsided, the Bible says that Noah and his family got out of the ark, and it says the first thing they did when they stepped on dry ground, according to Genesis 8 and 20, is they built an altar to the Lord. And that is one of the greatest things that we can do for our families is build an altar in our home. An altar, that's a, that's a church word, that's a spiritual word. You don't hear it a lot outside of church, but and the, the, the definition of altar is really simple. It's a place where you meet with God and he meets with you. That's all it is. It's a place of consecration that you can make your home into. An altar means it's a place where God is welcomed, a place where he is worshipped, a place where he meets with you and your family. One of the best parts of my whole day, and the band, you guys can come up. One of the best parts of my day is when all five of us gather together as a family. 
in one of the kids' bedrooms. They, they take turns. They, they all like to have that, everybody in their room. We get together and we read a Bible story and we pray before bed. Those moments are precious to me. But you know what? They're more precious in the sight of the Lord. He's honored by that. He thinks that's precious. We're teaching our kids how to pray. We're teaching our kids what the Bible says. Family devotions will hold you together when the storms of life come your way. And listen to me, they're coming your way. They are. They come to all of us. The Bible says the rain falls on the just and the unjust. If you're going through a challenging season right now and you're thinking, what did I do to deserve this? The answer is nothing. It's human nature. It's, we're fallen. We all have to deal with this. We're going to have challenges. Your commitment to God, the fact that he is in the center of your home, it will keep you in this thing. It will keep you from falling apart when the storms of life come your way. We can make our home a place of consecration. I want you to stand with me all across the room. You know, today was very different than what I normally do. You know, I, I hope it was helpful for you. I'm going to be honest and tell you it's been challenging for me. I, I, I can just tell you, I think a lot of times, you know, you look at a pastor and you see somebody on a platform and you think they've got it all together. It's perfect for them. I can tell you right now, I do not have it all together. There's a lot of work that I need to do to improve the culture in my own home. I was preaching to myself today. But what about you? What is God highlighting in your heart today? What needs to improve so that the culture in your home can improve? How's your commitment level? Is your commitment to your spouse, your commitment to your kids, commitment to your family, is it what it's supposed to be? Or are they increasingly being put on a back burner while you pursue your dreams, your aspirations, your goals? What about your communication? Is it effective or is it dysfunctional? What needs to change? Conflict resolution. Are there things that are just hovering over you that are just sabotaging happiness day in and day out? Whatever it is, listen, it's time to have the conversation. It's, don't go another week without having the conversation. Schedule an honesty night, sit down, and talk it out. Resolve the conflict so that you can become healthy. Is it a matter of consecration? Do you need to invite the Spirit and the presence of God into your home to begin leading your family? I'm telling you right now, none of us know what to do. We are all dependent on the leading of the Holy Spirit and His Word to know how to do this thing called family. And you're going to get better at it if you invite him in. If you actually talk to him about it, ask for his guidance, ask for his wisdom. Look at what his word says to do. Do you need to dedicate your home again as a place consecrated to the Lord? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to pray over you today. And I want you to join me in this prayer. I want you to pray for your family. I want you to pray together with me for the families of our church. You know, we were singing that song earlier in the worship set, and it's got those words in it, uh, break my heart for what breaks yours. And as we were singing that, I just thought, Lord, broken families break your heart. Broken homes break your heart. And what God wants more than anything else, if you're dealing with brokenness, is to bring wholeness to you. 
If you're dealing with hurts and wounds, this is what God wants to do today. He wants to bring healing. If you've got hurt and brokenness in your home, it's probably because someone living there is dealing with brokenness and hurts. And this is the good news. God is healer. (laughs) That's who he is. He is a healer, and he can heal your heart today. He can heal those wounds. He can heal your mind. Holy Spirit, (laughs) thank you, Lord, for your presence. We invite you into this space right now. Oh, Holy Father, we invite you into the fabric of our families. God, we acknowledge our need for you. We acknowledge our dependency on you. We acknowledge, God, that we have no answer for the challenges of life, God. We don't know what to do, so our eyes are on you, God. And I pray, Lord, that today you would lead your people. I pray, God, that you would lead your people to wholeness, to healing. Lord, I pray over every single person that has been dealing with hurt, family wounds today, God, Today can be a day of healing for you. Will you just, right now, by faith, will you just receive the healing work of Jesus? I feel the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Spirit working in this moment. Just receive. Hallelujah. There's so much love coming from the Father to you right now. You are loved. You are valued. Whatever was spoken over you, we pull it down in the name of Jesus. We tear down those strongholds in the name of Jesus, and we speak words of life over you. We speak the Word of God over you. He's got a plan and purpose for your life. It is for your good. It is to prosper you, to give you a hope and a future. Everything the enemy has done to try and sidetrack that and destroy your life, it has been in vain because today you have met the redeemer of your life and the redeemer of your story and he is making all things new the old is gone the new is here behold a new creation in christ jesus hallelujah hallelujah be healed today in jesus name you don't have to go back the way that you came in hallelujah hallelujah oh god for families that feel like they're drifting apart lord right now by sovereign move of your holy spirit bring them together in the name of jesus i pray that you would blow your wind your breath on them in the name of jesus and you would bring wholeness and healing to the divide today god today lord today i pray i pray father that when we go back to our homes it will have become a place that is holy ground it will have become inhabited by angels and the spiritual dynamic in our home will have shifted by the time we leave here and we go there in the name of jesus i pray for change to happen transformation to happen in the name of jesus hallelujah Hallelujah. I feel the moving of the Holy Spirit right now. Will you just lift your hands and worship the Lord? He is in this room right now. He is moving in such a powerful way. Hallelujah. 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 Father, we bless you, Lord. Oh, we praise you, Jesus. Oh, God, you do for us what we could never do for ourselves, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pray, Lord, that you would set us free from bondage today from the grip of the enemy, Lord. Oh God, I pray, hallelujah, I pray over our kids in Jesus' name. I pray that the grip of the enemy would be released now in Jesus' name, that if they've been living in chains of fear and dysfunction and destructiveness, God, we come against those things in the name of Jesus and we command them to break and they be free now in the name of Jesus Christ. Come on, believe God for it right now. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Prodigals are coming home in Jesus' name. People that have been running from God are going to run to God in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, God, hear the prayers of praying people. Hear the prayers of praying parents. Hear the prayers of a praying church, God. We're lifting our families up to you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. (laughs) 
Thank you, Jesus. I just feel like the Holy Spirit wants to just move and minister today. As the band leads us in this song, I just want you to receive from the Lord. Let God minister to your heart today. Hallelujah. Whatever you need from him. He's in this room right now. Thank you, Jesus.